With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Michael the Pod Pina, and I am joined on the other line by my good friend and Sports Illustrated senior writer, Chris Herring. Chris, what's up, my man? Not too much. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Uh, you know, right before we started to record, you said you were tired. Um, I am also tired today because I, I thought I was going to get to go to bed a little early, miss that fourth quarter between the uh, the Lakers and the Suns, but then the Lakers kind of made it semi-interesting, and I, I had to stay awake, so I curse the Los Angeles Lakers this morning. Yeah, there's something about it for me. I don't know what it is to see... It's still kind of surreal to watch LeBron lose, certainly in the first round. And so even if, you know, the Suns had stayed on a, you know, a pace to win that game by 30, I wasn't going to turn it off until, I don't know, there, ever since when I covered a, a final series when the, the Spurs beat the Heat that year, it, it was just kind of surreal to watch the big three go down and just kind mm-hmm. of go down and, you know, with the whimper like that. And you, you kind of don't believe it's actually happening until you see it with your own eyes. So um, I was tired, you know, I was fighting to stay awake, but it was, you know, that third quarter charge made it interesting, but um, clearly some stuff is going to be needed in LA to kind of get them back to where they were last year. LeBron losing in the playoffs period kind of feels like a solar eclipse. Right. He's healthy and everything. And it's like a comet flying through the sky. So I totally get what you're saying, but you know, we have a, ton of stuff that we want to cover on today's episode. Probably too much um, to get to, frankly. Every single topic feels like it could be its own hour-long conversation. So I just want to dive in really quickly. You know, we already mentioned the Lakers. They are officially on vacation. The uh, Portland Trailblazers went out in the first round once again, and there's doom and gloom uh, in Oregon. Um, but I want to I want to start with the defending champs, who... 
after winning it all with a string of injury luck last year, kind of ran into some of their own insurmountable injuries this um, this season, this postseason in particular. Um, I want to kick things off just kind of like with a choose-your-own-adventure style question for you, Chris, and then we can kind of just see where it leads us. Um, you know, coming out of last night, what's the bigger story for you? Is it is it the Lakers losing or is it Phoenix with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Monty Williams? Is it them winning? What's the bigger story? You know, I actually think it's it's Phoenix winning, which maybe 10 percent of me feels like I'm trying to come up with a contrarian response. But I think that <laughs> I think the Lakers, I mean, really with the Lakers, it's LeBron and, you know, people are always going to focus on him and. The fact that he's never lost in the first round before. The Lakers were a seven seed. And I think a lot of people were trying to figure out how seriously they should take the Suns when everything pointed to the fact that the Suns were completely legitimate. We're in the running for the number one seed until, you know, what, the last day or two of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, had maybe more roster cohesion than any team in the league. A team that, you know, on the one hand, Came out of nowhere if you weren't paying attention last year and, you know, didn't trust the bubble stuff last year, but, you know, were on the cusp of making the playoffs last season and then added Chris Paul to what they had and were kind of an up-and-coming team anyway without Chris Paul. So I think they deserve a lot of credit. I think uh, certainly L.A. had their fair share of things that went completely wrong, but so did Phoenix in in the sense that Chris Paul was not completely healthy. so did Phoenix in the fact that, you know, AD came back and looked good after a horrible game one. And, you know, we're, we're down 2-1. So I, you know, I, I frankly, I look at this and I, I see Phoenix as a, as a title contender. And so I think the fact that people are just now kind of waking up to that because they took down the champs, I think they're deserving of credit. I, you know, I think the Lakers, it's kind of simple. That this is what life is going to be like for them in the next couple of years. As they're locked into AD and LeBron, they're they're probably going to deal with a lot of injuries. AD comes with his own anyway. And LeBron is 36 years old and will be 37 later in the year. And it's really hard to, you know, be the guy that's played more minutes than anybody in, you know, in a short amount of time, over time, whatever you want to look at. Um, He's going to probably get dinged up more as he ages. And as he continues to age, it's hard to... No one's beaten father time. Uh, LeBron is probably giving it the toughest test he's had. Um, but, you know, they're, they're going to struggle. And it, it probably means they have to be really perfect in terms of building the roster around those guys. And um, this was not a perfect roster. I don't know how much they helped themselves with the whole Drummond thing and Gasol's feelings about that and the questions that they had about that. Um, they completely cratered as far as their shooting around LeBron. Uh, LeBron did not look completely, completely himself at times even just in terms of his decision-making and how much he trusted that ankle. Um, But I think Phoenix, you know, obviously L.A. will be talked about here, but I think Phoenix deserves to be talked about just as much because they, you know, very easily could be the team that replaces the Lakers as the champions this year. So LeBron's usage in in this series was actually lower than it was during the regular season, which I find to be very fascinating. And... I don't know, like when you watched, I'm going to talk about the Suns in two seconds because I agree with you. We should give them their due. They just beat the defending champs um, with, you know, Chris Paul having that instantaneous shoulder injury and just not looking like himself the entire series. So this wasn't, uh, you know, I think that you have to give credit to Phoenix despite Anthony Davis's injury. But LeBron just, 
you know, I the entire series, I was expecting him to just kind of bowl over Mikhail Bridges and bowl over Jay Crowder as he has a bajillion times in the postseason before. Um, you wrote a really interesting piece that had a stat in there just about LeBron's drives to the basket and how relatively ineffective they were um, in this series um, compared to the past five years, I think it was. And you watch him in last night's game, and he's emptying the tank on these possessions where he just puts his head down and goes to the basket. And when he doesn't get a whistle, it's really ugly. Um, and it's really tough to watch. He just doesn't have the expo- he didn't have the uh, explosiveness that we've become accustomed to. He didn't have the elevation that we've become accustomed to. And I think that the Lakers are really in a tough spot personally. Um, and part of that just goes to how you you kind of hit on it a little bit, just how they strategically build around AD, who still believes he is a power forward, even though he really needs to start viewing himself as a center. And they really need to prioritize shooting around LeBron and around Anthony Davis. I don't know if this groin injury is going to reinforce um, AD's belief in that he needs another big man beside him to have success and to stay healthy. But investing in, and it's not even just financially, just in terms of minutes and, and roster spots, investing in Andre Drummond, investing in Montrezl Harrell, uh, Marc Gasol, it's, it's, it's just, I don't think it's very smart. <laughs> and sometimes I, I think about the Lakers and, you know, obviously they won the title last year, but you know, if they lost that series against Miami when Miami lost um, Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic to um, season-ending season or series-ending injuries at the start of that series, like I just wonder how we would view the whole team-building thought process uh, around LeBron and AD in this era, and just how disastrous it it might um, might look. But um, real quick on Phoenix, you know. It's really hard not to be happy for the Suns and their tortured fan base. I had some people who are fans of the team who cover the team texting me, DMing me during the game, and I felt really good for them. You know, they have this path now, as you said. I, too, consider them a title contender, although actually seeing them win a championship would be very odd to me. I don't know why. I still have this weird seed of doubt in my head, but DeAndre Ayton, I can't speak highly enough about his performance in this series, particularly on defense, uh, particularly just the efficiency and his hands and um, how well he he just he he just looked like a veteran, honestly, uh, in drop coverages. And it was it was very impressive to see out of him to say nothing of Devin Booker's shot making, which I kind of anticipated and Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson and all those guys. Um I don't like I just don't know where the Lakers go from here as you kind of alluded to with LeBron's age and the fact that like half their team is heading to free agency. You know, Taylor Horton Tucker is a restricted free agent, Caruso's unrestricted, Dennis Schroeder who I was listening to the Woj pod the other day um is anticipating 22 million dollars a year uh on his next contract. I don't know who is going to pay that uh the lakers are in a really tough spot obviously they don't have a ton of cap space slash any cap space and um the flexibility there is 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 tough but i i just don't know where the lakers go from here 
um, in trying to get back to uh, uh, the top of the mountain. And like, do you? I don't want to just write off LeBron James, but we can say LeBron needs more help until we're blue in the face. I, I don't know how he gets more help. Do you have any idea, or am I just? I because I, I, I'm at a loss. No, I mean, so I I'll say this. I think that um, the last two seasons, this year in the bubble, you know, obviously um, they won the title in the bubble. Who knows? Had, had stuff not broken the way it had broken this season with, with LeBron having what I'm sure some people would say was kind of a freak injury. It wasn't something where his own leg gave out. It was, you know, someone kind of diving and, and hitting him. Mm-hmm. In the leg. So you, you can make that argument if you want to. Um, I think what we're seeing, though, is, is the fact that this is still a team that can win a lot of games. It probably is a title contender if they're completely, completely healthy. I think that the reality is that it's probably not fair to assume that they'll be completely, completely healthy. I think it's less likely that they'll be completely, completely healthy than the fact that they'll be banged up. It's just you've mm-hmm. got a guy that... You know, even if he hasn't had like just a brutal season ending injury before, is constantly nicked up. It's very rare to watch him play a game, a national TV game, whatever you want to call it, without seeing him limp or hobble or be on the ground and scare the, the living crap out of all of us because of an injury that he might have. So there's him, and then there's a guy that will be 37 later in the year who has more mileage on his tires than any player really we've ever seen at this level in, in terms of how good and accomplished he is. So it, it, it would be foolish to not think that that day is coming. Um, you ride this out as best you can, and you just try to build around them the best you can. Certain guys you probably feel like you really need to have back. I actually think Schroeder is, is very important for them. I think he's the right sort of guy to have. I think the end mm-hmm. of the season was pretty brutal for him. I think Caruso, it goes without saying, is a guy you'd really love to have back. Um and after that, man, and Horton Tucker, I think, obviously, just as a younger player, is someone you'd love to have back. But after that, you know, I think anything could really go. I think they have to be very, very particular about which big men they get and guys that are durable and guys that are enough of a rim protector to where if Davis just does not want to play center, which, like you said, he probably should be there more often than not. But if he can't, um, you at least don't want to plug someone in there that's going to be clogging space when he has to play with that person, uh, which I think, you know, was, was a challenge with Drummond, as attractive and as appealing as he might have been to the Lakers and other teams. But I don't know where they go from here, but I, I, I you know, I don't think it's quite as dire as we're making out to be. I think they're a contender if they're healthy. The, the question is, how often are they going to be healthy given where they're at and who they have as their top line guys? So speaking of health, uh, in the first five minutes of last night's game, Anthony Davis tried to play on that that strained groin. Uh, it was really tough to watch. Uh, I you know I don't want to linger too much on this because um, we're a day out and there's a lot of other basketball fun stuff to talk about. But I don't know, man. Like watching that was I just I felt bad for Anthony Davis. I felt. Uh, what's the right word here? I think maybe just like embarrassed for the Lakers, like that they would put a such an important piece and frankly an investment. Um, and forget about the fact that he's a human being. Um, and can do long term damage to his body. Uh, playing 
in a playoff game while clearly injured and like Grant Hill was on the broadcast and he was like almost you got a sense of like there was distaste in Grant Hill's mouth like he was personally offended almost given the injuries that he suffered throughout his career and how serious something like that could be uh just what was your take when you were just watching it unfold and watching this guy like hob literally hobbling up and down the court it was really just it was kind of disturbing sports are kind of an ugly gladiator sort of thing then and um you know I, I saw a couple of my friends tweet about this but um people back away from it after injuries happen you know we, we saw durant a couple years ago in the finals when you know there were reports out there people writing and kind of questioning out loud um shouldn't durant just be willing to play this is the finals if you don't play now when are you going to play when he was dealing with something that I mean, obviously, in hindsight, we can say had the potential to get worse with mm-hmm. the calf injury and then turns into an Achilles where he's out for a year. Um, thank goodness he's come back and he looks just as good as he was before. But, you know, Charles Barkley was on the air, um, what was it? I guess it was last night, saying that, um, of course, Davis needs to play because this is, you know, you're facing elimination. And then once he plays and he does what he did and looked the way he looked and was hurt instantly, Barkley is saying he shouldn't have been out there. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, what are we doing here? Um, so, you know, and I think it's kind of the same thing. with It feels a lot like the ring conversation about how um, guys, this era is weak and guys are soft and they're just going to go partner up with people. But then if they don't do that, that we're going to ridicule them for not having won the ring. So. It's, it's really stupid. Um, you know, I don't want to say that that's all Davis was thinking about when he did that. I'm sure he wanted to play, and I'm sure he essentially threatened to overrule whatever the doctors told him. I mean, quite honestly, man, as the cameras were going, you know, as they try to promote the next game that's coming up after the first one ends, um, they were showing Davis warm up and move around during the Portland-Denver game. Mm-hmm. And he looked like an old man walking around during that. And I was really close to tweeting that, but didn't want to psychoanalyze or try to, you know, make too much of a five-second clip that TNT showed. So when he came out and didn't look like he could move well, I mean, it wasn't surprising. Uh, it also wasn't surprising when he was describing how everything, every movement he made hurt him two or three days earlier. So it wasn't surprising. It sucks that, you know, that it happened. Um you know, I don't, it's weird to blame the Lakers, but, you know, obviously there's some blame there. But I'm, like I said, I'm pretty sure Davis decided he wanted to play through it no matter what because the Lakers were facing elimination. But sports, I mean, it happens in every sport. Um, and this was what I said a, a couple of weeks ago. And people took it as me, um, you know, being soft on the Lakers, which I don't think it was. But um, the one thing that sucked about the plan for them and just generally is that teams that had been, in the race for a while, you know, even for a top seed, all of a sudden, because of the plan, having to really play aggressively for a team that you figure is already injury prone between Davis and then LeBron and his age, having to really ramp up at a time where they really probably needed to rest a little bit more, and they didn't have that luxury. They had to give everything they had to beat Golden State, um, and, you know, and faced a seven, a two seed, which everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, that's, you know, the Lakers are a championship team, so it doesn't matter what seed they're playing. Uh, okay, we just saw them get knocked out by the two seed. That, <laughs> like, you know, I think even at full strength might have been better than they were. So who knows? But 
it sucked. It sucked to watch. It, it wasn't that hard to see it coming, given that the Lakers were hobbled going into that matchup anyway. We're hobbled going into the end of the season anyway, but um, it sucked. And, and credit to AD for trying to play, but you don't want to see someone who's been this close to avoiding injury, um, you know, his whole career, try to gut through something for, you know, a series that the Suns definitely had the upper hand in by the end of it. Yeah, I mean, just anytime there's like a, a, a questioning of someone's manhood, it just it always just makes me uncomfortable. And I think it's just like the lowest form of discourse in professional sports. The comparison that I'll say real quick is, and it's a little different, but the Utah Jazz held Donovan Mitchell out of game one of their series with an ankle injury because it was in the best interest of him. It was in the best interest of the organization. And it was like, frankly, just like the right thing to do. So I get what you're saying about like AD, you know, this is an elimination game. It's a little different, of course. Um, And I get what you're saying about AD, you know, wanting to push through. I I just think that maybe the Lakers should have, I mean, they, the medical staff, I assume, has final say over this thing. I would, I, like, I don't, I don't know if you're letting AD play when he's clearly uh, injured. I don't think that that is very wise. Um, and you brought up the KD situation, which was just an absolute worst case scenario, and how these things can can go sometimes. So that was that was stinky. I, I yeah, that that was bad. Um, okay, so. Uh, do you want to talk real quick about like you know you mentioned um, the Suns as a title contender, and I, I agree with you that the Suns are a title contender. Can you kind of like explain to me why I feel it is inconceivable that they could actually win the NBA championship? Do you feel the same way? Like if they actually got to the finals, they beat Denver, they beat whoever is in the conference finals, be it the Clippers um, or Luca or whoever. And then get to the finals against the Nets or the Bucks, um, and win. Like, like I just, I, I, I literally like can't even envision this as happening as a possibility. Yet I too call them a title contender. Do you, do you kind of get what I'm saying? And do you agree or, or no? <laughs> not, not completely. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, look. So we've had situations in the last few years. Um, where I think it's been somewhat inconceivable. I mean, the, the, so. The team that reminds me the most of this one, from recent history at least, the Nuggets lost in the last game of the season a few years ago to the Timberwolves to miss out on the eighth and final spot. And then the next year were basically in contention to get the number one seed in the West, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, And to everyone, seemingly, no one really took them seriously as a title contender even though they were really close to being a number one seed. To some extent, that's true of Phoenix now, where I think people are kind of viewing it that way. And they're like, well, you know, they're, they're a really nice story. They've certainly got a lot of talent. Okay, now they even took down the defending champs. Um, they've been really good all year. And I guess, to me, I'm not... If there were a series where they were going to be really intimidated by what they were up against... I, you know, as a team that had never been in the playoffs before, this would have been that team to me. Um, Denver will be tough, certainly. Um, Jokic is a baller. Um, 
But I, you know, I don't, at this point, it's not inconceivable to me that the Suns can make it. Um, you know, certainly the Lakers were hobbled. Uh, so were the Suns, you know, with, with Chris Paul. Um, so, no, I mean, like, you know, to me, they, they were this close to getting the number one seed. Um, so to me, you know, it's completely feasible that they do it. Um, is it who I consider the favorite? Not necessarily. I don't know. I haven't really given thought. Um, I think whoever comes out of the East will have a really good shot. But uh, no, it's, it's not, you know, maybe at one point it would have been, but not anymore. Uh, why, why, why is it kind of so far-fetched to you, even though you know they're a contender? Like, why, why is it kind of not resonating <laughs> with you? That's a, I've been thinking about this for weeks. I, I, I don't know. You know, before the season began, once they got Chris Paul, I looked at their roster and um, I looked at their momentum coming out of the bubble. And there were so many players on that team who I just I adore. I love Mikhail Bridges. <clears throat> I think that Devin Booker is still underrated potentially uh despite dropping 47 in an elimination game he's just he's a super duper star he's absolutely incredible and i said before the season started that it wouldn't shock me if the phoenix suns were a three seed and you know there was a lot of pushback i think um in my twitter mentions and in the emails that we get for this show uh and so i was i was really optimistic about this team and now they kind of lived up to that slash even exceeded my wildest um and highest expectations but now that we're actually in the postseason i just i i don't know maybe it's because i'm i'm looking at a team like the brooklyn nets who we're going to talk about later and i'm just like okay that is what I think of when I think of a team that can win the NBA championship or even the Clippers with the, and given all of the troubles that the Clippers have had, I guess just like the traditional aspect of having like big forceful um, superstars who can get to the free throw line at will, who are three level scorers, who individually defend at a high level. Like I, I think that maybe that is clouding my judgment here and I still think that Phoenix can't get by um a, a legitimate test against some of those teams but I I don't I don't know maybe I should be more optimistic about Phoenix because I have, I had such respect for them before they even played a game <laughs> so well, I don't know Chris. To, to your point know, though to your point though I mean I, I think the one thing you brought up there that I would agree with is um having played the Lakers and then AD being in and out of the lineup, and, and also them taking a game off the Lakers when they were as close to full strength as they could be, you know, with, with Davis and LeBron playing in game one, and Phoenix looking way better in game one. Um, the, you know, the reality is the Lakers were not at full strength for the, the whole series, and KCP mm-hmm. was hurt as well, Caruso at one point. Um, you know, they're going to get Denver in this series, which, you know, Denver complete props to them for what they've been able to do with that Murray, but um, certainly not full strength. Um, and if they play the Jazz, they'll get the Jazz at full strength, but the Jazz are not a team that has like the explosive level scoring. They're kind of more of a unit and a team than what you would consider when you're looking at Brooklyn, for instance, and maybe even Milwaukee to some degree. Um, so, I mean, they, they could theoretically make it to the finals, Phoenix, without playing anything near what Brooklyn has as far as offensive firepower. That said, I don't know that many teams are ever going to have that much firepower offensively. But, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, I, I think there's drawbacks to everything. I think Brooklyn 
is not nearly as stout defensively as some of these other teams that are up for contention. So we'll, we'll see. I don't know. But it, it's certainly not far-fetched to me that Phoenix can get to the finals. I, I, I think that they could do that. You know, some people would probably say that they should be favored coming out of the West at this point, depending on what happens and who comes out um, of the Clippers map series. But, you know, if you get there, I think anything is up for debate. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I certainly think they could get there and probably wouldn't argue vociferously with anyone that thinks that they should be favored coming out of the West at least. So we had like eight topics I wanted to get to today. We just spent like 30 minutes on <laughs> the Lakers and the Suns. So that's cool. But I, you know, I, I don't want to skip over the Portland Trailblazers who were eliminated, eliminated um, last night. I picked them to win this series. And frankly, I feel like they should be pretty disappointed in the outcome. No disrespect at all to Denver, a team that I, I love watching as much as anybody. I just thought that uh, the health factor, not having Jamal Murray in a, in a series, Denver's backcourt, the size issues there um, with Faku and Austin Rivers versus CJ and Dame. I just, I don't know. I thought that 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 Portland, even not having home court advantage, would be pretty not dominant, but have a have a legitimate advantage in the series. And it just didn't. Um, it didn't end that way for them. So, you know, we just talked about the Lakers and where they go from here. I, I think Portland is in a very similar situation. Um, when you look at their roster, when you look at their the contracts that they have, when you look at Terry Stotts and, and Neil O'Shea and, and CJ McCollum, who's just an annually, who's a great player, who's annually in trade rumors, when you look at even Dame, who people are already speculating about his happiness slash unhappiness in his situation. Just what happens here with Portland? Because to me, it's like a, it's a classic blow it up scenario. Like, I think this is the end of an era. I don't know specifically what that means, but what, how, how aggressive do you think they will be this offseason in kind of either changing or dismantling what they've had? Man, I... Uh... I, I'm on record, even in a story, having said four years ago, 2017, that, um, <laughs> you know, so I, I, <laughs> I had a dog that lived till she was 18, you know, bless her soul. And um, after a while, every single year that she lasted past 14, 15 was kind of a blessing um, mm-hmm. before, you know, before you realize that it's, it's, it's time. And, uh, the Blazers have been the equivalent of, of my dog, uh, where, you know, fun to watch, great memories, great moments. But over time, it kind of seems like a lot of these memories we've been having of this team have been Dame kind of just pulling crazy performances out of his butt to keep them afloat. And, you know, when we talk about Dame, we're generally talking about his offensive ability and the ability to do that. And that's kind of emblematic of that team. Um, Four out of the last six years now, essentially, they've had a top 10 offense and a bottom 10 defense. It's really hard to win anything meaningful that way. It's basically um, it's basically unprecedented with the exception of maybe uh, one of those 2000 Lakers teams uh, with Shaq and Kobe. It's just really, you, you don't win championships that way. You, you rarely ever make a finals that way. Um, and the truth is, you know, McCollum is a really, really good player. Um, but I, it's really hard to win with a backcourt that has no one that defends consistently or can defend consistently. 
um, and you know a, a duo of shot makers. Um, obviously, Dame, you live and die with what he's able to do, but I don't know that McCollum really rises to that level when you have such an imbalance of offense and defense on your team. Not to mention Nurkic getting in foul trouble, you know, and, and really, you know, I hate to put it this way, but like kind of torpedoing their chances whenever he did that um, in the series. I, I tweeted last night watching the game. I was like, oh, look, the Blazers are really, really good when Nurkic isn't in foul trouble. He had no fouls when I tweeted that, and then 10 minutes later he had four. <laughs> and everybody tweeted me like, oh, you spoke too soon, and that was when the tide in that game shifted. Um, and, you know, he's a difference maker for them, but um, when he's not on the court, there's not enough defense. And, you know, if he's fouling like that, maybe it speaks to the fact that he's not really a great defender either, at least against the most elite-level competition, which is, you know, an MVP candidate. So it's understandable, but the team desperately needs – Defense, assuming that Dame stays, they, they def, desperately need to put more defenders around him. They did add Covington. Um, you know, they added some pieces last year that were helpful, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's kind of a message that you send when you've got your two best players on the roster and neither one of them really defends. Um, whether there's more pressure, less pressure, no pressure at all to, you know, for other guys to kind of, follow their lead to some extent, you know, and, and quite frankly, we look at Phoenix and what kind of made a difference for them. Um, Booker committing to defense and, and becoming better on that end and everybody else doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's something to be said for that. So yeah, absolutely. Something significant needs to change. I mean, Terry Stotts has, you know, been a, a fantastic coach for them, but I think it's probably time. Um, I'm sure he'll be on the market for no time at all if he does leave uh, or, you know, if he's, if they do part ways. He's a very good coach, but I think at a certain point it's just kind of time. And I think really with McCollum it's probably time as well. Um, to be completely honest, it probably is worth having the conversation if Dame wants to broach it about his own future there. Um, I've always thought of him as the guy that kind of wants to be, you know, the the – one feather in his cap as far as you know how many teams he plays for but if he wants to have that conversation I think you have to indulge him on it um, I'd like to see them at least make some substantive changes whether it's coach or CJ or coach and CJ before you you know you move Dame somewhere else just because it's basically been the same regime the whole time uh, and I think it'd be useful to see him in a different scenario with the same organization but we'll see I, I have no clue what's coming but you would imagine something significant changes and something significant probably should change yeah i mean i thought that dame was the best player in the first round before they left just i mean i don't know about i i could i couldn't think of a better like straight up individual performance i have ever seen than his game five and for them to lose that one it just it felt like a dozen losses <laughs> instead of just one um, at least that's how I would perceive it if I were Damian Lillard and I just made I, like I literally could not do anything more and my team still lost. Um, Dame is in a really such interesting situation. You know, he turns 31 in July. He's earning 12 million uh, more dollars next year than he did this year when the Supermax extension kicks in. And I don't, you know, I don't think just getting rid of Terry Stotts solves anything. Like if you're if you're actually aspiring to win an NBA championship, I don't think a head coach change does anything. Um, you know what are you getting for CJ McCollum? 
that can upgrade your like you need another you need like a, an all-star caliber player and i don't think that moving cj can get you that so it's it's just a really tough situation because you don't want to move dame lillard but you know i have like some fake dumb trades that i want to just quickly throw in your direction but like you know i don't think that the sixers are going to make it to the finals this year if like the sixers say okay here's ben simmons and like whatever else you want like what happens there do you think or or even like the pelicans if the pelicans say here's brandon ingram here's jackson hayes here's whatever here's a million draft picks like give us dame we have dame and zion like i i I just i don't know i could see a trade like that actually happening this offseason you could i mean it it, it's all hypothetical i think any team would love to have any team that has one star already would love to have them i'm sure i mean Twitter has only been going for a couple hours this morning, but you know already the Dame speculation is in high gear for the Knicks uh, in New York in the New York media market. Um, <laughs> you know, they, I, I, can I throw cold water on that for a sec? I just don't understand this at all. But I mean, the Knicks, what are, like what are they going to do if they get Dame Lillard? I just don't, I, I don't understand this. But well, I mean, me, Chris. but I mean, look, this is a team that just. Completely got washed out of the playoffs. I mean, I don't know how high <laughs> the expectations were, but I mean, this was a team that clearly doesn't have a playoff, you know, tested number one option. Uh, Julius Randle is not that guy. No. Um, you know, and the Hawks are, are a, a very good team, in my opinion. I think that they they're legitimate. Um, they have a legitimate number one guy. Randle was not that. Um, you know, in his first go round in the playoffs. Lillard would give you that. Now, I think if it's a question of like what you have to give up to get him, and you're having to give up, you know, your entire young core to get him to put him next to Randall, then yeah, I think it's totally fair to kind of ask like, what are we doing here? Um, if it's mostly your picks, which you have for the first time really ever, the Knicks have all their picks. They've got, um, you know, I think one Dallas pick left over from the Porzingis trade. Um, if it's that and some of your young talent and, you know, then, then it probably is appealing to Portland. You know, I'm sure that they've got a lot of teams that are willing to kind of, you know, fork over everything they've got. So I, I get why the Knicks want them. Um, you know, they haven't had a player of that level really going back to Ewing, quite honestly. I don't think Carmelo was ever as good as Dame has been right now um, offensively. He, he had a season where he was a top three MVP candidate. And he still wasn't this good. And, you know, Dame is the kind of player that allows you to completely um, alter what the defense is doing. And I don't think Randall is that guy. Um, and I'm, quite frankly, we don't know who, you know, the Knicks would be able to get or when the Knicks would be able to get someone of Dame's caliber. So I get it and maybe figure the rest out later. You've got, you've got a guy that can probably minimize Dame's flaws defensively. Uh, so I would understand it. Uh, does it put them in title contender right away? Probably not. But do I understand why they would do it? Yeah, I, I get it. any team. I get. I would get why they would want to do it. I would expect a team like Boston to want to be involved um, because they're another Chris, team. I, I I love where you're going. Continue. <laughs> I I don't see I don't see what their next step is. Quite frankly, with where they're at, unless you get someone kind of of that caliber. Um, and you would probably have to give up quite a bit to do it. You know, this is not 
Boston is flush with draft picks anymore. Um, you know, it, it probably requires someone like a Jalen Brown, but um, you know, we've talked about positional need for them and the idea that you've got two wings that um, want the ball a lot, need the ball a lot. Okay, well, what if you change the dynamic a little bit and you had Dame at a time where Kemba, you know, he certainly rebounded toward the end of the year, but Kemba's not Kemba anymore, not not regularly, not consistently. Um, then you maybe get off Kemba's deal and you move him somewhere else. And so you, 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 you have kind of different looks if you're Boston if you do that. There, there are a number of teams. I mean, like we said, any team would be thrilled to get Dame. It's kind of a question of – the biggest question is, is Dame ready for that? Because I don't think, I don't think Portland is honestly considering it heavily – Unless Dame comes in and says, y'all need to consider this heavily. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that, that's kind of the bottom line. It's cataclysmic if you trade Damian Lillard in his prime. It just it is. It's like you're taking a thousand steps backwards. And no fan base wants to do that. I can't imagine. Like, if Dame were to ever win a title in Portland, it would just, you know, this has been said a million times, but it would feel like the Dirk title in 2011. It would feel like five NBA championships as opposed to a super team kind of coming together and winning winning it all. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. 
Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we're we're professional podcasters here, so I really appreciate you bringing up the Celtics and allowing me to transition to our next topic of conversation, which is one that I've been dreading, honestly, <laughs> from having. Um, yeah, so this week, I think the biggest uh, NBA news was that uh, Danny Ainge uh, retired from his position with the Celtics as president of basketball operations and was replaced, shockingly, by Brad Stevens who received a promotion from the bench, where he has been the head coach of the Celtics for eight years. Uh, Chris, I'm just going to throw it at you real quick. How shocked were you by this news? And just like, what was your, walk me through your initial reaction. So I was really stunned by the Brad Stevens part of it. Um, You and I were in a meeting where, you know, just even amongst the writers, we were talking about uh, a couple weeks ago about the possibility that, um, that Ainge might want out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part wasn't shocking to me, but um, the idea that um, that Brad Stevens would move up, and not just that, but then the explanation that came because of it, um, the idea that he's burned out and doesn't feel like he can, and maybe not that he doesn't feel he can, but doesn't want to coach anymore, Um I mean, this isn't completely fair and completely apples to apples, but um, to be the president of an organization is not like a stress-free job, one. And two, I mean, Danny Ainge literally had a heart attack on this job. So, I mean, again, that's where I say, like, everyone's health is different and everything. But, like, I'm sure Danny Ainge would not say this was a stress-free job. Um, So there's that. There's, you know, we just were throwing out hypotheticals about what a Dame trade would look like. Um, there's the question of whether Brad Stevens feels an investment and kind of a attachment to some of these players that he coached and whether or not that, I won't say clouds his judgment, but whether it makes it a little bit more difficult to come off of certain people when you've got superstars out there that you can trade for. Um, I don't know. There's a whole lot to this. I mean, Brad Stevens is absolutely one of the best coaches in the league, but you know, I'm very curious to see who he hires um, because, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, I, you know, I'm not of the opinion that he's not deserving of that sort of role. I mean, I, you know, especially if the ultimatum was like, I'm leaving or I'll just leave the job completely if you don't give me this. But, you know, I'm, I'm not very used to seeing people with his track record get that sort of say that, that quickly without having won a title or anything like that. So without even having been to, you know, the finals. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's fascinating from like three or four different levels. Um, I'm interested to see what happens next. I was very surprised that uh, the news that Brad Stevens is going to be leaving his gig too. Yeah, I mean, the Celtics basically lost one of 
and this is all arguable, but in my opinion, one of the five best GMs or personnel decision makers in Ainge and then one of the five best coaches in Brad Stevens on the same day. Like that is, I know Brad's staying with the organization, but that's just what happened. You have to now replace um, the head coach. And as you said, I think that that's, that's going to be a tricky one for, I, like, I don't know, I'm not going to say that whoever they hire cannot be a better coach than Brad Stevens was. That's not fair to whoever is, is going to be, whoever's going to succeed him. But um, it's really tough. And, you know, uh, our colleague Chris Mannix has really been beating the Sam Presti drum for quite a while since this news broke. And he wrote a whole column about how Boston made a humongous mistake in not opening up the search and trying to get someone like Presti and then keeping Brad um, on as the head coach. Like, I, I think that that is, um, I mean, I, I, I generally agree. I don't know what went on behind closed doors there. If they did try to contact Presti, who is under contract with Oklahoma City, if he was actually interested, if he was not interested, if Brad said, um, I just don't want to coach anymore, so I'm just going to leave this organization. If you don't give me a promotion and the Celtics really value continuity, I don't. I just, I just don't know enough there to uh, have like a firm opinion. Uh, I think that Sam Presti would have been great <laughs> in Boston and um, I am a, I am a Celtics fan, and uh, that would have been the outcome that had me very excited heading into the draft and heading into the offseason. Uh, but alas, uh, that's not what we got here. Um, do you have any ideas on who the Celtics might hire as the head coach to kind of come after Brad? Informed ones? No, from the standpoint of sourcing <laughs> and anything like that. Someone that I was kind of surprised that didn't, appear to get more of a look last year with last year's openings and someone that I think is good schematically and, you know, good with um, young players. I, I think Kenny Atkinson would be interesting. Um, mm. You know, I, someone that is very good in terms of just modern day stuff, someone that's very good with guards. Um, like I said, was kind of stunned at, you know, the fact that he didn't end up with a job last year. Um, you know, I, I, Never try to really dig too deep as far as the coaching stuff because, you know, there's obviously an X's nose part of it and a success part of it. And then there's also just kind of relationships. And I, you know, everything to me from the outside looking in kind of looked like his situation in Brooklyn came to an end because Kyrie and Durant wanted something different and someone different. Um, and it didn't necessarily mean, at least the way I read it, that there was something wrong with Atkinson as much as it was that they wanted their guy. Um, so, you know, if there were things behind the scenes that maybe they didn't like or that maybe even the Nets players didn't like that kind of prompted the move um, to oust Atkinson, then so be it. You know, like I said, I'm not privy to that. But just schematically and what he does and, um, you know, some familiarity with what, obviously with Brooklyn and kind of what they have and, the Eastern Conference and what they have, I, I think he would be an interesting pick. And, uh, you know, I, I think it would be a smart pick for them. But, you know, they've got their pick. Uh, they're going to have a whole lot of people interested in that job. And so, you know, Atkinson would be one possibility. But I imagine, you know, I think Woj said this too. Um, there are guys that are currently in jobs right now that are probably going to be possibilities that might want their freedom just to explore the possibility of going to Boston. So, um, 
you know, hopefully Brad Stevens and the Celtics pick wisely because they, you know, it's a, you really have to kind of come with it and get somebody good when, when you have Brad Stevens leaving the job to take a different one. I, you know, this will be a horrible comparison. It's not meant to be a total comparison, but, you know, I watched Phil Jackson, um, you know, covered Phil Jackson as the president of the Knicks and it's, it's a totally different thing. And I think, you know, Brad Stevens is in the game currently, you know, at the time when he made the transition. So it's different, but, you know, being a good coach does not necessarily make you a good executive. And uh, so it'll be really, really important for them to nail the coaching part of it since they're losing a good coach to make him the president instead. Bringing Phil Jackson into this, I, I did not need that, Chris. Um, I, re- I really did not need that to feel any worse about this it's situation. It's different. It's different. But it's like I said, you, you never know. Look, I, I get where Chris Mannix was coming from, uh, where when you can get a proven executive as opposed to one that's never worked on that side before, uh, I would say that's preferable too. But like I said, we don't know what sort of pressure Brad Stevens applied. I will say this, um, you know, to Chris's point, um, I don't think it generally works very well when you've got someone that's telling you they don't want to do something anymore to force them to stay in that job. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether whether Stevens would have stayed in the job or whether it was an ultimatum or saying I need out, if, if not for that, I'm not sure, but, you know, if he was unhappy and, you know, as we talk about mental health with Osaka and a number of other sports in just the world in general, um, I don't know what the circumstances were, but if he wasn't happy and if he felt burned out, legitimately burned out by this, you know, um, like I was saying with Danny Ainge and seeing Ty Lue and other guys need to take time away, Steve Clifford, by all means you do that. But, um, yeah, we, we have no sense of how Brad Stevens will do. Uh, the best thing he could do for himself at this point is to find a really, really good coach that will work right away. Yeah, so at the at his press conference, Brad was asked point blank if he would would have coached uh, the Celtics if he did not get this president of basketball ops job, and he said yes, absolutely. So take that you know with a grain of salt. It was at a press conference. I don't think. Or maybe he could have just told the truth um, and said that he didn't want to, or maybe he actually just thought that getting a raise and I mean, personally, I would rather be the president of basketball ops than a head coach. That's just, that's me. Um, so if I was given that opportunity, I would take it. Um, and that doesn't need to be an indictment on uh, my status as the head coach, but, you know, throwing out some other names really quick, uh, you know, Darvin Ham in uh, Milwaukee, Ime Odoka from Brooklyn, Chauncey Billups sitting next to Kenny Atkinson on the Clippers bench, uh, Sam Cassell. You know, I, I Lloyd Pierce's name was one that quickly came up. And I don't I, see that one. Do you? You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if Lloyd Pierce is a good coach or a bad coach. I don't think that he got a fair shake in Atlanta. I know it ended poorly, and the relationships that he had with his best players were not good. And in today's NBA, that's I mean, that's more important than X's and O's and strategy almost. So that's you know that's not a great thing to head into an interview with and have to deal with if you're Lloyd Pierce. But I also think that you know, black coaches in this league do not get second chances ever. And there's, there's no reason why he shouldn't because he was a very respected, um, 
assistant for years with Cleveland, with obviously the Sixers and constructing their defense next to Brett Brown. And he dealt with a ton of injuries and all these guys got really healthy. And then um, the Hawks kind of took off from there. And so uh, I don't know. I think that I I don't think I would be totally shocked if Lloyd Pierce was hired. I'll put it that way. I, I, I won't. I won't disagree with you on any of that. Lord knows if there's anyone that kind of advocates for uh, for coaches, certainly underrepresented ones, having opportunities. I mean, I, um, I'm I'm that person. I'm someone that wants that. And by the way, I think there are women that would be completely, completely capable and and really intriguing choices here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, including some that have worked with the Celtics. So. Um, so I hear you on that. I, I, I would be a little bit surprised if Lloyd Pierce goes from a situation where he's got a, a really young star in Atlanta and it fizzles out. And if because of some of it was behind the scenes and behind closed doors that it kind of failed, it would be a little bit surprised if you bring him into a situation with a young star, a couple of young stars, um, into a situation where I think there's actually more pressure and kind of more prestige tied to that job than the one he just left. I'd be a little bit surprised to hand that to him. I hope he gets another opportunity because from where I sat, were there critiques I had of him? Certainly. Um, with the way end of the game situations were handled, a lot of blown leads in Atlanta this year. Um, and obviously the, the massive turnaround that happened, which I don't, even though a lot of that was health, no question. I don't think it helps the further Atlanta goes. I don't think it particularly helps his case. But I do really hope he gets another gig. I'd be a little bit surprised if that gig uh, turns out to be something of, the, you know, the, the Celtics caliber, at least right now with Tatum, you know, about to enter his prime in the next couple of years. But but we'll see. I, I, I really hope he gets another chance, too, because I did feel like there's some elements of that were a little bit unfair. And when I talked about the Hawks and having questions about their offseason last year, one of my concerns was that they added so much talent to the roster so quickly was that it would speed up the timeline on difficult decisions that you have to make. And I think that he was kind of a casualty of that, for sure. So, like, I want to close previewing Bucks nets with some rapid-fire questions. But before that, am I allowed to entertain you with a quick fake trade before we depart the Celtics talk? I I have a, a, a Celtics fan galaxy brain deal for you. And okay. it's pre- it's pretty similar, actually. You know, we were just talking about Dame and some potential um, trade ideas there. I don't think that the Celtics could put together the best package for Dame with what they have, frankly. And I don't think that they would give up Jalen Brown to get him. Um, but I was kicking around this scenario with my friend James Herbert um, the other day, and... Basically, it goes that Bradley Beal tells the Wizards, Bradley Beal's basically in the exact same situation as Dame is in Portland. And, you know, he tells the Wizards, hey, I I want to be traded. I can't be here any longer. And he changes his tune and he says, you know, my best friend in the league basically is Jason Tatum um, and I want to be there. Do you think it would be? Do you think the Wizards would accept a Kemba, Rob Williams, Romeo Langford three slash maybe four first round picks trade for Brad Beal, or am I just an insane person? Uh, if they do, <laughs> be honest. Uh, 
I'm, I'm being honest. If they do, it's because they really, really like Bradley Beal, respect him, and just want to do what he wants done. I, I think yes. Robert Williams, obviously, is appealing to anybody, and so are three or four first-round picks. But you have to be coming at it from the perspective that other teams aren't willing to offer those same picks to them, uh, which at that point it becomes more about just trying to make Beal happy, which they don't have a obligation to do that. So I, like you were saying before about the idea that there might be better packages out there for Dame, um, certainly if you're not going to offer Jalen Brown, um, I think there might be better packages out there for Beal, assuming that every team that is in that conversation would be willing to offer the picks necessary. There might be other teams out there that have a slightly better young player that they can attach along with some picks to make the deal happen. And I, you know, it's a, it's, it's generally a pretty cutthroat league. You know, if Beal wants out, everybody's going to want in on that conversation. And I think somebody might be able to get involved, you know, with a little bit more to offer than just the picks and just William. Right. So you're saying there's a chance. Thank you so much. Chris. (laughs) I I love how selective that, that hearing was on your part. (laughs) Yes. Um, okay. So real quick, uh, I have a bunch of questions that I sent to you before we started recording about Nets Bucks. And this, I mean, this topic could have been the the whole episode, frankly, we could have spent forever on this. Um, so I'm just going to throw them at you. You know, given everything that's happened in the Western Conference and how shaky some of the um, true contenders that we thought heading in have looked and the Lakers are no longer in the playoffs. Um, you combine that with Joel Embiid's knee injury, which is obviously, you know, very serious. And if he is not 100%, the Sixers just don't have a chance, in my opinion, against the Bucks or the Nets. So I just ask, like, is this second round series between these two Eastern Conference teams, is this the, is this the NBA Finals? I won't call it the NBA Finals. I'll call it, certainly, I think you could say it's the Conference Finals if, if Embiid is not here. Um, and I think you could say that whoever wins this, you would expect to make the Finals. Um, I, I have a little bit more faith, I think, even in the conversation we have about Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in whoever comes out of the West, then, then I think maybe you do. Um, would I favor the Western Conference champ over whoever comes out of this? Probably not, but I'm not, you know, I'd like to see how those series play out. Um, we've had more than enough time at this point to see that, you know, the Nets have their health problems. We've had more than enough opportunities in the recent years to see that the Bucks can get really weird and, and you know, their offense can kind of stall. We obviously did not at all against Miami. Um, but I, I, I'm very curious to see the way all this stuff plays out now. And I also am a person that does not fully trust the, the Nets defense yet and so um from a scoring standpoint yeah like I think the Nets have the capability about scoring anybody regardless you know you could play to 300 with them and you know and they could be right in it still and maybe give up 298 um I you know I think that the Bucks I really really want to see how their offense holds up you know against um and whether they can keep pace with a team like Brooklyn um, with this new look offense that they've been spending all year and kind of investing in all year. Uh, it certainly worked against Miami. So it's, I would not quite say it's the finals, but I, I get what you're saying. And I don't think it's that far off what you're saying. But I, I would give whoever comes out of the West a little bit more of a, a chance than you are, I think. Who is the best player in this series, Chris? Oof. 
I'll say Giannis, but I'm saying it for defensive purposes. Um, and I'll also say that it's a really weird answer given that on, in any, on any given last-second shot, he might not even be the guy taking it from Milwaukee. Um, I just think he's probably the best all-around player in the series. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, like I said, it's a, it's a strange sort of roundabout way to say it given that, hell, you might have two guys on Brooklyn that might outplay him in the series. You might have one of his teammates mm-hmm. that outplays him. Depending on how it all shakes out, the way he's defended in this series. Um, but that said, he played his butt off the last couple games they had against Brooklyn, uh, where he went for almost fifty. Was it the last time they played, or the second to last time they played? So I'm I'm going to go Giannis, but I you know very curious to hear what your answer would be here because you could go any number of ways with this. Giannis, I'm actually a little surprised that you said that the it is so ridiculous for me to be surprised because this guy two-time reigning mvp still (laughs) exactly and you know statistically should have gotten more um uh uh uh, credence for a candidacy this year in my opinion like he was just phenomenal and humongously valuable uh to the milwaukee bucks this year um my answer is kd uh, pretty easily, I think. Okay. I, I, I just, I watched, so I wrote this piece uh, real quick that went up today um, on SI about the Brooklyn Nets offense and just how, uh, I guess, I mean, they were, the, this is the most efficient offense in NBA history and KD, Harden, and Kyrie played 202 minutes, played eight games together. It's, wow. I don't think like people are really processing that, but um, we got to see this team whole in the first round, obviously against the Celtics, where their offensive rating was 128, which is it's just like it's just like not even it doesn't even register as reality at that point. Yeah, yeah, and so when you watch how they played and you kind of dig into the numbers a little bit, just how frequently they isolated was fascinating to me. Um, obviously Harden is, that's what he's associated with above all else. Um, but he isolated in that series against Boston more than any other time in his career. Um, KD, uh, isolated on 12% of his possessions, um, in his first playoff run with the Golden State Warriors. It, against Boston, that was three times as much. It was like 31, wow. 32% or something like that. Wow. Um, which is just, it's wild. And I look at the Nets and I'm like, okay, the Nets are basically D'Antoni's Houston Rockets, except instead of one James Harden, they have like three. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I, that's how I'm viewing them. And I don't think that anyone can stop them. And when I look at, KD to get back to like the question at hand this guy I mean there's really nothing else I need need to say about KD like they're playing these lineups that have him at the five pretty often because of Jeff Green's injury and when he's when he has space when he's surrounded by the greatest shooters who've ever lived I mean Joe Harris on this team you can't hide anybody on Joe Harris he's ridiculous he absolutely diced up the Celtics led the NBA in three-point shooting during the regular season when KD has um, you know, individual coverage when there's no ability to provide backline help 
on his drives because he'll just kick it out. Like he is unsolvable to a degree that I, I, on this team and in this context, I don't think we've ever seen before. And so the task of defending them on Giannis, on Drew Holiday, on Chris Middleton is just, it's unprecedented. I don't really know. I can't really like put it into words how difficult it's going to be for them. Um, and like Katie can go off for in that game that you referenced where Giannis had what, like 50 or 48 Katie or something. was incredible at the game too, unless I'm mixing it up with yeah. all the other ones. Yeah. Yeah, no, he was, it was like a, a back and forth. And in that game, I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head now, but one of the big three did not play. It was either Kyrie didn't right. play or I'm pretty sure it was Harden. They actually, haven't had, I don't think cancer. they've had a game yet where all three of them, well, no, I, even going back, so Harden's first, one of Harden's first games was against Milwaukee when he got traded there, but I don't think any of those three games they played against each other, the two teams, I don't think Brooklyn ever had all three. And that's kind of what is really intriguing to me. Like the thing I find most interesting about this is Brooklyn might, I'm sorry, uh, Milwaukee was maybe more aggressive and kind of more interesting I mean, they, they literally had teams trying to copy the way they defended James Harden over the last few years when he was in Houston by, you know, kind of playing him to his right and trailing mm-hmm. him and almost daring him to go up against Brooke Lopez when he's sitting back in the paint. And the reality is, like, you cannot play him that way anymore because, first of all, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of dangerous to just sit Brooke back in the paint anyway. Um, against this particular team. I think they'll try it at times, but it's somewhat dangerous to do given that they're going to be playing a lot of five out. Um, certainly four out, one in maybe at times. But it's just so much of what, and this gets back to what you're saying about Kitty, so much of what you would normally try to do to just defend these guys if it was a normal team where you've got one superstar and then other guys, you've got two or three superstars, two and a half superstars, whatever you call Kyrie, and you know, and the best shooter in the league is a fourth guy. Uh, good luck with that. I mean, it's going to be really fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm juiced to watch this series because, like, it, it could go either way. Uh, it's certainly going to test Milwaukee, but I, I have some faith that Milwaukee will will be able to defend at times. And you know, even if they're not able to all the time, you know, Brooklyn still has to hit the shots. And and certainly Durant, we know he can do that. But this is a team that, you know, hasn't played together all that much. And, you know, I don't think – I think you can get by and, and beat Boston certainly without that, uh, with, with how thin they were given what they normally would be. But trying to do that against Milwaukee is a different task. And who knows? Milwaukee obviously doesn't have DiVincenzo, and that's, you know, that's a loss. It's not necessarily the same as not having Brown, Jalen Brown. But um, we'll see. It'll, it'll be really interesting. Like, I, I'll be disappointed if this is a quick series somehow. But uh, I'm I'm fascinated to see it play out. Okay, Chris, what's your prediction? Oof. I am gonna go Milwaukee. I, I feel bad about the pick because wow. because I think Brooklyn has more firepower, like we said. But part of me kind of feels like, man, if this doesn't work, when is it gonna work for Milwaukee? Um, they looked thoroughly dominant against Miami, which obviously could not be further from what Brooklyn is. Um, but I, I, I like Milwaukee. I don't even know if I have much of a justification as to why. But um, maybe it's just kind of feeling like third time's a charm here. 
feeling like they tweaked everything that they probably really needed to. Certainly getting uh, uh, Eric Bledsoe out of the paint, or not out of the paint. Uh, I mean, I don't mean that literally, but <laughs> getting him out of there and replacing him with someone that can shoot a little bit. Um, if it weren't for Brooklyn, I feel like Milwaukee would be a clear, clear favorite to come out of the East, even maybe with Embiid, you know, mm-hmm. uh, being more healthy. Uh, Brooklyn is certainly a wild card, but I, you know, we're putting a whole lot of faith in them to say that they're going to just win this series with how little their their big three played together this year and with the questions on the defensive end with them and with them having a first-year head coach who I think mm-hmm. is very, very willing to try and tweak and do different things. But, like, it, it's kind of incredible that they're the odds-on favorites to win the thing given all the question marks that we have and just haven't seen them really answer yet. So Milwaukee, as crazy a pick as that sounds, like, it's also not that crazy, given that like it's crazy to have this much faith in a team that we know very little about, other than the fact that they can score with anybody. No, I think that this Bucks team is the best iteration that we've seen so far. Um, even better than two years ago when they lost in the conference finals after being up against Toronto. I I was a net skeptic for uh, I guess like up until about a week ago, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, I just thought that defense would matter. Um, as it tends to do in the, in the postseason and uh, chemistry, cohesion, uh, health. I just thought there were a lot of question marks for Brooklyn. And I, after watching just how explosive they were in the first round with, I mean, their starting lineup didn't play a second in the regular season and looked like one of the best starting lineups I've ever seen in my entire life with Joe Harris, Blake, and the big three. It's just every possession is a bucket, a drawn foul, um, an open shot that doesn't fall, a Hall of Famer taking a contested shot that they can usually make. Uh, I just don't know what you do there to slow them down. And so... We didn't even see the Nets in high gear against the Celtics, and they still, I mean, they averaged like 1.17 points per possession in the half court, and the league average in the playoffs is uh, .987. So, <laughs> like, this this team is just operating on a different level. Um, so I'm going Nets in six. I have a lot of respect, again, for Milwaukee. I just think that, like, when it comes down to it, even if these games are very close, the Nets will hunt whoever they need to on the defensive end. And, and Giannis is a great defender, and he talked at length um, quite eloquently about his ability to fight over screens and recover. Um, and Drew Holiday is excellent at that. Chris Middleton is one of the most underrated defenders in the league. But the Nets are so good at just screening and rescreening. They'll get Bryn Forbes in action. They'll get Pat Connaughton in action. They'll abuse Bobby Portis. They'll abuse Brooke Lopez. There's just other weak links out there that really compromise your defense. And I don't know. I don't. I just don't know what the answers are. So I'm going Nets in six. Um, yeah, I will tell you this, man. Uh, if ever there were a time where they need. Bryn Forbes to go off for 18 or 20 or whatever he did in one quarter. Um, he and Portis are really going to have to shoot well to at least try to make up for what you just mentioned with the idea that the Nets are going to attack those guys. Um, again, didn't matter against the Heat. You know, the Heat 
at a certain point didn't have anything left for what you know what the Bucks are going to do to them. But yeah, they, I mean, I will give you this, um, even if I'm picking Milwaukee here, and if it's just you know, I could admit it's probably more of a feeling than it is really rooted in just strictly the X's and O's. I don't know anyone, even you know, the Bucks themselves would probably tell you that it's much easier to see how if you have a close game, last 30 seconds, last 45 seconds, you know, even watching the first game of the series that Milwaukee won against Miami, think about that crazy-ass shot that Middleton hit to win, you know, and just the quality of the looks at a certain point. Brooklyn, more often than not, can kind of get the looks they want, whether it's ISO, whether it's coming off of swinging the ball, you know, and, and just making the defense rotate. It's much easier to see how Brooklyn scores in certain moments than Milwaukee. And I think for me, you know, my faith is kind of more in Milwaukee, at least trying to make life difficult in a way that maybe the Nets are not as used to seeing because they are so explosive. Um, so we'll see. I think I'm hoping it will at least be a good series that goes six or seven because um, I'm with you, that, you know, of these teams and where they sit in the hierarchy, you might be talking about two of the three best teams in the league, three of the four, or two of the best four teams. Um, you know, who knows how much better Utah is than they are, or vice versa. You know, if these are the two best teams, who knows? Um, mm-hmm. But it is such a good matchup, and I feel like every now and then we're kind of blessed with one around early. Um, whether it's this, whether it's the Rockets and the Warriors, um, at times, or you know what have you. But um, this is this is a hell of a matchup, and it. A lot of star power, a lot of scoring ability, a lot of defense um, from the Bucks side, but a lot of question marks on Brooklyn side. So I'm, I'm, I'm very curious and very ready to watch it. All right, Chris. So we've reached the end of another episode. Um, I want to thank uh, all of our listeners once again for wonderful emails. We didn't get to answer any of them because there was just so much news to get to, but please keep sending them in. Um, to uh, openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. I will be back on Monday with Rohan. Uh, Chris and I will be back next week, presumably to discuss Boston's shocking acquisition of Bradley Beal. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Until then, uh, everyone, please stay safe and enjoy the weekend. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.